0: Well, good morning as we continue our series on faith and uh, the journey that Abraham has taken and the faith journey that we have taken. I I don't know about you, but I was so upset this past week as uh, we were privy to images that were deeply disturbing of a man on the street with a police officer with his knee on his neck. Uh, the The man is calling for, he can't breathe, he's calling for help. Uh, bystanders are, are are there and uh, capturing everything on their phones.'re they're, they're calling out uh, to let the man up, to to, to uh, help him. He can't breathe. Uh, standing by are three other officers who seem nonplussed by the whole thing and and just disengaged. Everything captured on cameras, watching, This whole debacle, this whole tragedy, uh, it lasted just over eight minutes. And then George Floyd's life was over. Sadly and tragically, this gave way to outrage that has just circled the globe, how something like this could happen. There have been demonstrations, tempers have flared, there's been violence, Uh, smashing of uh, of windows and buildings and looting, uh, throwing stones and and, uh, tear gas and pepper spray and rubber bullets. Our world has been just a, a mess this past week watching all of this. And it's so far from the design that God had for us. God had something so beautiful in store for us. And we've seen over and over how that has been destroyed. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve sent out of the garden, the first family to have Cain murder his brother Abel, uh, to have the the world in such a bad state that God had to judge with a global flood in the days of Noah. Again, uh, as as the population is built up, we've got the debacle at at, uh, Babel. And so we just see one thing after another, after another, expressions of this broken world we live in. Well, you may be asking, what does this have to do with Abraham and the journey of faith? And uh, we learn that the, our entire existence as Christ followers is based on faith. It's based on faith from first to last. In Hebrews eleven six, it said without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so we connect with God through faith. We trust him, we trust him in our problems, in our prosperity, in agonizing delays. We learn to trust him to do the right thing, but do it in the right way. And we learn from faith that we need to obey and and no matter how costly that is. We come to Genesis 18, and we see that there is another visitation of God with Abraham. God comes with two angels. And when he comes uh, in, the, in the middle of the day, Abraham is in his uh, tent, and he hastens to provide Uh, some hospitality to feed and refresh these sojourners as they come through his area. And uh, as after the meal, uh, and he confirms for Abraham that everything that he had promised about uh, Sarah having a baby will in fact come true. Again, another affirmation that God will be faithful. He says this to him, I've chosen him. God says, I've chosen Abraham that he may direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just. Right and just, that's what he's asking for from Abraham. But there's something very disturbing going on that precipitated God coming to speak to Abraham. Something that was grievous, something that was Uh, awful and terrible and in Genesis 18 20 and 21 it says this the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done Uh, if it's as bad as the outcry that has reached me if not I will know now God doesn't have to come down to look God knows all things but so often it's it's cast in language that our humanity can uh, uh, understand and, and go with. He, he comes and he says, There's something terrible happening, something grievous happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, and I've come to judge that. God's evaluation is always in line, it's always just, it's always fair, it never overreaches, never oversteps. And you'll remember. Uh, that there was a conflict between Abraham's herdsman and Lot's herdsmen. And, and in, in such a, a caring and kind way, uh, Abraham would uh, defer to Lot. Lot, you, you go wherever you want. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. But I, I honor you in this way. And uh, Lot made his decision from a human standpoint that would be a no-brainer. Uh, He looked around, surveyed the land, and he could see the well-watered plain. It was beautiful. It was lush. It was green. It was a place where there would be lots of uh, area to uh, feed and and pasture his herds. Um, And and so he goes there. But in making that decision, he lacked discernment. He lacked discretion. Uh, he, He would do what was best materialistically for him. But in terms of doing something that was right for him and his family, he, he lacked that kind of discretion. And we read that uh, Lot pitched his tent near Sodom. He, he came near this city, Sodom and Gomorrah, like these twin cities of the plain. And uh, uh, he, he lived there. And, and the sad thing was it was not a good place to live. Yes, it was lush and green. Uh, but there was a lot of evil in that place a uh, lot not only moves from uh, near the city when we see him in genesis 19 he's sitting in the city gate he's a member of the city he's he's a part he's an, a, a well known uh, person he's in the gate that's the place where business and commerce and and legal matters were settled so he was there right in the center of things and uh He had prosperity and he had status there, but the environment was not good. It was a moral cesspool. Uh, There was no, it was no good place to live and raise a family. And and I want to warn you uh, to be careful about the decisions that you make. You can chase prosperity and and you can find out that it has, uh, it can be lethal it can be so detrimental, have such a poor impact on your life. I mean, you can get a promotion and that promotion may give you a lot more money, but it may demand a lot more of yourself too more responsibility, more time away from your family. And you can be cheating your family and, and, and neglecting things that are more important. You may not have time anymore for developing spiritually and serving God and things that you may have done at one time. Uh, you, were, you were seduced by prosperity and what it could do for you. Or, or you're maybe got to in, on, onto the team that you wanted, or, or you got into the frat house or the sorority, and you, it was what you wanted, and you thought that was a step ahead, and you were with the people you wanted to be, but you didn't realize the impact that that would have on your life, and that it could lead you far from God and change your values. Well, Sodom promised so much... Uh, for Lot, but in the end, it would cost him everything. It would cost him his family. His wife would would, uh, die and uh, become a pillar of salt. His uh, daughters would lose their uh, prospective husbands they were engaged to. Um, There would be incest in the family. I mean, there were so many terrible things that happened and, uh, and incest, this incestuous relationship w- that would produce two nations that would be continuous uh, uh, enemies of Israel. Uh, not only that, the place where he was in uh, was, was uh, bad on so many levels, and, and conforming to their uh, values and standards was a terrible thing. In fact, um, it, he was... He was indiscriminate in that. There were so many things. He was willing to violate his daughter's purity and, and their uh, their status as as young, chaste women. Evil was so prevalent in Sodom and Gomorrah that when the angels go down uh, to see what's happening, what, what we see is there is uh, intent for gang rape, homosexual gang rape, rape. And God looks down and see the terrible uh, state of this and and how tragic it was. And it says, an outcry had come up to the Lord. Now that word is a very interesting word, that, that outcry. It's the word that is used of the cries of the oppressed to God. It was the outcry of victims who had been hurt It's what Israel did in Egypt when they were in bondage to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Uh, Their cry came up before the Lord, how they were being abused, beaten, oppressed, knocked down, um, and God heard that cry. We're not told of all the atrocities in in, uh, Sodom, but we know that it was a, a terrible, terrible place, and God had had his fill of this. And uh, what happened is uh, God is going to judge them. Now, some people don't like to think of God as judge. They like to think of him just as uh, this caring, loving, soft, kind person. And, And certainly he has that aspect to him. But we do a great disservice to God when we wish to make him more palatable and acceptable to people who don't like the idea of a God who is also a judge. And uh, we may be treated as a, uh, something that is an embarrassment on our faith. We shouldn't do that. I, I'm afraid we fail to recognize that, that God could not be uh, merciful and good if he were to ignore the outcry of people who are oppressed. And, and uh, if he didn't judge and respond and act. And we need to recapture a sense of the fear of God that he has for us, uh, something that he has f- concerned for justice. And so God is stirred in this, and he's going to do something about it. But there's something also that stirs in Abraham. He's moved by the plight of the oppressed and the downtrodden. He, he, is, he is overwhelmed thinking the thought that God could Wipe out all of these people, and it's not that he had a great uh, appreciation for them. He he'd, he'd helped them, but he had really nothing to do with them. Yet there was something in him. He is moved by the uh, by the plight of the the oppressed and the downtrodden, and God's heart of mercy goes out, just as God's heart of mercy goes out to George Floyd his family, and what's happening in the United States and, and surely around the world, uh, grasping for breath. God hears and God is concerned with those kind of things. Well, Abraham does something that is absolutely stunning. It's courageous. It's bold. And in many ways, it's unthinkable. At this point, the two angels have left Abraham and God. And they've gone down to Sodom to deal with this case. And we read in, in Genesis 18 and 23 that Abraham approached God. Now, this is a very, very interesting term. It, it, is, uh, it is like in, in law to approach the bench. It, it's to come and to make a case before God. Abraham is concerned Uh, There's something that's bothering him. And that is, God, what if there are righteous people as well as wicked people? Would you sweep them all away? This is his concern. This is his problem. Are you going to annihilate the righteous with the unrighteous? Would they be swept away together? And in verse 24 of chapter 18, it says, what if there are 50 righteous people? Lord, would, would you judge them all if there were 50 righteous people? Abraham here is assuming the role of a priest. He, he's assuming the role of someone who represents God. Who, uh, that's what a priest is. A priest is someone who represents God to the people and somebody who rep- represents the people to God. And, and in that sense, he comes... And he wants to pray and intercede for this people in that sense. in, in fact, this is really the first major prayer in the Bible, in, in the book of Genesis and, and boldly. And yet at the same time, humbly, he approaches God. And, and he says in verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating them alike far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? He says, I don't understand this, Lord. What, what if there are righteous people, 50 righteous people? Would you, would you spare them for that? And he, he confirms that the judge of all the earth will do what's right. He, but he, need, he wants to plead this case before God. He has confidence in God that God will do the right thing. But he's passionately concerned. He doesn't want them to be judged. Comparison about us. Do you care for the souls of other? Are are you moved deeply when you see wicked people, but also have a desire that God's mercy would be uh, uh, spared uh, uh, and God's mercy would be extended to them and his judgment would be spared. Um, He says, Lord, Uh, The Lord says, rather, for 50, I will spare the whole. God says, I will will answer that request of yours. If there are 50 righteous people, I'm going to spare them all on on that basis. And uh, so Abraham goes on and he says, Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, he understands his standing before God. He says this, What if there were five less? Lord, if there were only 45, for 45 people who are righteous, would you spare the whole lot of them? The Lord says, I would do it. And he begins to talk down in numbers. He said, well, uh, Lord, just forgive me for this. What what if there were 40? For 40, would you spare them? For 40, I'll spare them. uh, Don't be angry, but let me just ask, for 30 for 30, would you spare them? I'll spare them for 30. How about 20? Would you spare them if there were just 20 righteous people there? Yes, I will. And then he goes to 10. Hey, he's hit his, his his basement now. Lord, if there were only 10 people, would you spare all of these, the wicked, with that 10 people? And he said, for 10, I'll spare them. Do you see the heart of God? Do you see the the merciful heart of God? His delight is not in judging people for their sin. His delight is extending mercy to people. In Ezekiel 18 and verse 23, the Lord says this, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their wicked ways and live? His desire isn't to, to judge people. His desire is to reconcile people. Even in the Ten Commandments, uh, God in, in Exodus 20 says that, he says, I'm a jealous God. I punish the sins from the children for, to the first, third and fourth generation. But listen to this. But to those, uh, and that's to those who hate me, but to those who love me, to a thousand generations, he shares his love to, uh, and, and his mercy and his grace. Now, I want you to get this. There is an, uh, an outstanding principle in this. There is a, some, an assumption on the part of Abraham that righteous people can affect the outcome of wicked people. He, he, he says, you know, Lord, would you, if there were this many people, would you spare the whole lot for that. And God says, yes. And he's picked up on something. The assumption that righteous people can have an impact on people who are not righteous and can impact that whole situation for good. You notice he didn't go lower than 10 people. He didn't go, for instance, down to one, but God did. God went all the way down to one. God sent his son to come to earth. It was Jesus who became a high priest for us. As as, uh, Abraham works and functions as a priest, representing the people to God, but God to the people, so Jesus did. Jesus came as a priest, but as a high priest, he came to represent God to us to show us God to let us know what God wanted of us to teach us and instruct us but he also came not only that we might uh, he might represent God to us but that he might represent us before God and and Jesus Christ came He, he came to let us know what Jesus was like but he represents the father to us and and he also Becomes a high priest speaking to the Father on our behalf. In fact, it says this in Hebrews 7:25: He is able to save completely. That's Jesus, can save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Is that not beautiful? He's, he intercedes on our behalf to the Father. But that's not all he did. He came to give his life to die on the cross, to offer a sacrifice, to pay the penalty for our sins, for our rebellion. And, and uh, what he what he did for us was he took our place. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter three eighteen, For Christ died for our sins once for all. Listen, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He would make a difference. That one person would make a difference. He would represent us, to God. He would come and die on a cross. He he would take our unrighteousness upon him. He would satisfy the the justice and and the wrath of God in, in dealing with our sin, in paying the price for our sin, so that we, through faith, are in solidarity with Jesus, that we become his children, that we become part of the family of God, that he forgives us that he includes us in his family that he grants us everlasting life all of those come to us through through him and he represents us to the father and because he's walked in our shoes because he's because he's experienced what we have also he's able to be sympathetic he can sympathize and and lift us up before the lord and uh, when the enemy of our souls would, would come and accuse us before God, and, and rightly so, accuse us for th- things that we've done wrong, he would intercede and mediate between us and the Father. And he would assure the Father that everything we had done had been covered by his death on the cross for us. It was paid in full. It was put on Jesus' account, on his tab. Let me ask you the question. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus who loves you, who came and and offered himself as a sacrifice for you? And as your priest, he he tells you about God, but as your high priest also, he represents you to God. And and I I trust that you've done that. Uh, But if you haven't, you can do that. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus for what he has done for you. And he, as we learned a few weeks ago, he will put that as righteousness on you. You will be accepted with God. Well, we see here that from Abraham that faith cares. Faith cares about people. Faith cares about their needs. It cares about their brokenness. It cares about their sinfulness. It it cares about their their, uh, separation from God and how they can be reconciled to God. And Abraham boldly, goes before God to make a case for wicked people. Would you destroy it for 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? Would you destroy for the sake of one? And he stood in for us. Now, there's something fascinating that I I want you to grasp also as we look at this. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, it says this, God has made us a kingdom, and he's made us priests. God has made you and me who are believers to be priests like Jesus was, like Abraham was. Again, a priest is a person who represents God to the people and represents the people to God. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, we are a holy priesthood. We are priests. We are believer priests. That is something that was captured in the Protestant Reformation the priesthood of all believers. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a priest. You're a part of this royal priesthood, this holy priesthood. And God wants us to represent Him in the world. He wants us to tell about God and Jesus Christ and what he's done. He reaches out to us that we might pray for them, that we might encourage them, that we might help them, that we might come alongside them and bring them. And we intercede on their behalf before God as priests. Isn't that an incredible thing that God wants us to have an impact and an effect In a world that has gone so wrong and is so broken. That's faith in action. That's the faith of Abraham. That's the faith of a man who would grieve over the destruction of lost people. Let me ask you, is your heart broken when you see all of what's going on? uh, The the racial problems, all all of the, the, the killing, the hatred, the murder, all of that. Does that grieve you? And do you... Take that before God and ask for his mercy and his grace to be extended, that people would understand what they're doing and that they would be reconciled to God and and that uh, that you would press into God on their behalf. Well, we need a high priest. We need a high priest that represents us before God. And he invites us as believers to be priests reflecting him. And he invites you to come to him, to find strength in him. And he has assumed your guilt, your sin, your offenses. He's paid the debt. Now he wants you to go and share that with others and and make a difference in that way. And and, uh, will you represent him? for, on, on Monday evenings and Wednesday mornings, we have a prayer time and we just lift people and we lift the world and we lift the situation that we're in before the Lord. We, we come and bring him, uh, bring them before him and ask that God would do something through us. The world needs Christ followers who care about the brokenness of this world and, and by faith will have compassion and love and care and reach out and uh, let's let's remember to petition God for these people let's remember the the responsibility we have of priests that we can do something that God can use and bless remember remember God promised through Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed and we see that in the coming of Christ but we see that as we as we looked last week at Pentecost how the spirit coming and indwelling all of us helped us to fulfill the the call of our life to be believer priests for him. This morning, we're gonna reflect on that through communion. And so I wanna invite you to go and uh, to get your communion uh, things, your bread and your cup. If you haven't already done that, please get that now. And we're going to uh, commit ourselves to the Lord in this. We're going to remember what he's done for us, how he took pity on us, how he was merciful to us and gracious to us, how he sent somebody to share the good news of Jesus with us and to bring us into his family. And uh, so we want to give him thanks. But we also want to remember that he calls us to responsibility. And when we come to the communion table, what we do is we we uh, pour out our hearts before him and, and we recommit him uh, to uh, recommit ourselves rather to him and his desire for us and that we would walk with him. In, Go- in the Gospel of Matthew, it says this in Matthew 26, beginning at verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. At this time, we're going to receive communion and I'm going to ask uh, our elder Tony Miles to give thanks for the bread. Will you join me in prayer?
1: Dear Lord, we praise you, we glorify you, we thank you. Today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Lord, that represents the body of Christ who died on the cross for our sins, we pray that Everyone celebrating with us, Lord, will realize what you did for us, Lord, and, Lord, that you will continue to be with them and bless them, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much that you gave us your Son, who was without sin, to die on the cross for our sins, and, Lord, again, we thank you, we praise you, we glorify you. Amen. Please join me in eating the bread. As Jesus told us, take, eat,
0: this is my body. Our elder Winston Miller will now give thanks for the cup.
2: We take this cup in remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. This cup represents his shed blood, his blood shed for the remission of our sins. It is called a new covenant in his blood, a covenant of grace, sealed by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be mindful of that. Will you pray with me? Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross while we were yet sinners, Lord. Jesus Christ died for us so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Peace made with God through his shed blood on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Father, bless this cup, bless our time of worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Let us partake together.